Good morning and Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you today. It would have been nice if we could have met in person and God willing, Omicron will soon burn itself out and we can get back together shortly. Uh, but until then, we want to keep everyone safe. I hope everyone had a great time celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's wonderful to reflect on how God himself came down to earth, how he left the glory of heaven to live as a man, the creator among his creation, how he exposed himself to every part of this fallen world, yet remained perfect and sinless, how he died the death we were meant to die, and in so doing brought us life. It is our pleasure and our privilege to look at the book of John today, and to look at the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, and hopefully learn a little bit more about what that means for us, that Jesus was indeed God incarnate. Where I work, they continually try and foster a culture of safety. And one of the things we do is start off meetings with a safety moment. So if it's your responsibility to run the meeting, you have to come up with a safety moment, or sometimes you can turn it over to an unsuspecting coworker. Now, it's interesting at times. You can learn things like ladder safety or car maintenance. But admittedly, after a while, it becomes hard to come up with some topics, and people fall back on seasonal things like firework safety around the 4th of July, or coping with daylight savings time, or traveling around Christmas. Or my personal favorite, instructing people to walk like a penguin when conditions get icy. Now, inevitably around this time of year, someone will break out the post-holiday blues. Now, this is a real thing. The general idea is that there's such an emotional buildup leading up to the holidays that the event itself cannot possibly live up to expectations. All you're doing is running off of adrenaline, and after you've ripped open your presents and you've had your cake and your pie, an emotional and a physical crash will follow. The presents you were looking forward to just weren't as entertaining as you hoped, the time with family and friends was nice, but now they're gone and it's back to the grind. Charlie Brown took it a step forward. Seeing how commercialized Christmas had become, he was proactively let down by Christmas. And for anyone who disagrees that the time after Christmas can be depressing, just step on the scale. I would say it's caused by the fact that the events you looked forward to just weren't as exciting as you hoped, and the excitement they provided was insufficient to sustain you. The event is transient, and once it's passed, you're left feeling empty. This becomes an interesting concept for us as Christians as we look at the season of Advent. The idea of Advent is that it's an arrival. It's an event with a big lead up to it. All of history was a lead up to the arrival of Christ. But today, what do we do when Advent has passed? Will we still experience the physical and emotional roller coaster? But will we also experience spiritual blues as well? Will the excitement over the Lord's birth fade as we move into the new year? I like that this year we're focusing on the incarnation because that's not just a one-time event, but rather an enduring one. When the Lord came, he took on human flesh, not for a day, but for a lifetime. The incarnation was a sustained event with ongoing meaning and ongoing purpose to it. While the physical incarnation ended when the Lord returned to heaven and took his rightful place, its meaning and impact still endure. It endures in the fact that the scars of the incarnation remain even in heaven, as we read in Revelation about the Lamb who was slain. So today, as we look at the incarnation in the Gospel of John, we will see that the meaning of the incarnation is something that can sustain us day to day, year round, for our whole lives, and most importantly, through the life beyond this one. It is not a one-time buildup that we get to and then we move on from. In the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come for a day, but for a lifetime, the impact is not just for a lifetime, but for all of eternity. 
the good news of the Incarnation is sufficient to sustain us. I would say that we can see this in the book of John. When John talks about the Incarnation, it's interesting. He doesn't talk about the birth of Christ as discussed in other Gospels. John completely skips the Christmas story. He starts out in the ministry of Christ, probably around the time he personally encountered Christ. So while we normally associate the Incarnation with the birth of Christ, John tackles the Incarnation head-on by looking at Jesus as an adult. The birth was just the beginning of the Incarnation. The Incarnation was for Jesus' entire life, including his ministry. Now the Incarnation is depicted very clearly and very powerfully in the introduction to the book of John. Now this is a well-known passage that I'm sure most of us have heard before, and many of us have probably even quoted it. But before we look into the word, let's pray that we properly handle it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incarnation that we can celebrate. We thank you for the joy it brings us. We pray that we would just see the wonder of what you've done continually, that it would be part of our lives day in and day out, that we would focus on it, never let it go, never let it get overwhelmed by the cares of this world. So we pray as we open the word today, that you would guide our hearts through your spirit and teach us lessons about yourself so we can love you more fully and worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's look at the book of John. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Going down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So there it is, plain and simple. Jesus was God made flesh, incarnated. There's no subtlety in John's approach. It's the good old transitive property. Sorry to bring up math so early in the day, but simply put, it is taken as truth that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Our whole system of math runs off this principle. God is the word, the word was made flesh, therefore God was made flesh. I hope it's not a surprise to anyone here, but one of our core beliefs is the incarnation, that Jesus was in fact God, come down to earth to live among his people. John knew Jesus as well as anyone else while he was here on earth. And he chooses to make the first thing he tells us about Jesus, the incarnation. The language is so clear. He makes it so simple for us. He starts with the word, the word was God, the word was God, then goes on to tell us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word has always been intimately linked to God. It was with a word that he created the universe in Genesis, and it is with a word that he will defeat his enemies as he prophesied in Revelation. He expressed his desires and his commands for the people by giving them his word. To his people, he has always given the word to show them the nature and character and for them to delight in as King David delighted in the law and the word of the Lord. But now the word was not just being delivered. It was arriving to fellowship with his people. I love that John says he made his dwelling among us. The word actually means he tabernacled with us. Just like God was in the midst of the Israelites during their wanderings, he came to be with his people, but in a form they could see and touch. The Incarnation was not just a brief visit like the Christophanies of the Old Testament, but it came with a sense of permanence and fellowship. In so doing, he fulfilled the promise of Zechariah, Zechariah 2.10, 
Shout and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. So a guest might visit you, but your family dwells with you. And we know that while not physically present in the flesh with us today, Jesus makes us the same promise as believers, that he will dwell with us and in us. In fact, he does so in a way that's even more intimate than when he was present in the flesh. The incarnation was for us so that we could experience and fellowship God, and of course, so that he could experience everything that we experience and yet remain perfect and become the perfect sacrifice. So while it would have been a blessing for the word to come to us, John tells us there is so much more. You see, if through Jesus came the person of God, along with it also came the character of God, and John proceeds to inundate us with all the beautiful aspects of Christ that reflect the nature of God. We're going to touch upon just a few of these this morning, but I'd encourage you to read these passages and seek out the character of God manifest in Jesus and how it can be used to shape and enhance your life and your relationship with him. So if the incarnation God were to come, what attributes would define him? To ask it another way, what does God look like? Because if, in fact, Jesus is God incarnate, and he is, then what he looks like should look like God. Now, we know this to be the case because the disciples asked Jesus to show them the Father, and he tells them, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So where can we find a picture of God in his rightful place in heaven? Let's take a look in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation, chapter 21, verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Verse 22. I did not see the temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations walk by its light, and the kings of earth bring their splendor into it. Verse 25, On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is God in heaven, everything the way it's supposed to be. So if God does not change, this is what it should look like when God is on earth through the incarnation of Jesus. So what should we see in the incarnate God? The Lamb has the book of life, so the incarnate God should inscribe names in the book of life and be the source of life. God gives living water without cost, so the incarnate God should do so as well. In fact, it should flow out of him like a river. There is no sun because God gives it light, so the incarnate God should bring light. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, so we should see that he is the eternal creator. There is no temple because he is the temple, so the incarnate God would also be a temple. The incarnate God should be a lamb, and the incarnate God would also carry with him the glory of God. So was the wonderful God of the book of Revelation really 
the incarnate Jesus. Let's look some more at what John says about Jesus. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John tells us that in Jesus was the life, life we so desperately needed. We cannot have life in of ourselves. Our physical life was created by God and is sustained by God who holds all things together. Likewise, our spiritual life was created by God, but because of our sin, that life became death. Yet with the incarnation of Jesus comes the promise of renewed life. Without the incarnation, there would be no sacrifice worthy of redeeming us. Think about it. How can the immortal God die in our place? Well, there's nothing God cannot do, but he showed the extent of his love by taking on mortality through the incarnation so that he could bear the death we were meant to die and in so doing bring us life. John 14:6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John 11:25. Jesus speaking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The living God gives the water of life that comes at no cost and that flows like a river with its source at the throne of God. Look at what Jesus said to the woman at the well. John 4.10 Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And this living water Jesus offers, not just to the woman at the well, but to everyone. He repeatedly affirms that he is the source of living water and that that offer is available to all. John 7, 37, 
On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The characteristic of life is enhanced with light. In him was the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. When the earth was first made, it was not yet ready to receive life. Genesis tells us that now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. As God lovingly crafted the earth into a place that we could live, the first enhancement that was brought to it was light. In fact, the first words ever recorded were, let there be light. As a little side note, when Ben was like four or five, he would ask us questions before bed. And perhaps it was a stall tactic. But one night he asked us, when God said, let there be light, what language was he speaking? This will have to go on my list of things to ask God someday. I didn't have a good answer for him. But we've always seen light as a rescue. Hard times are always depicted as a dark night with relief coming at dawn. But even more than from hard times, Jesus is the light that rescues us from death. As we read in Matthew 4.16, Jesus fulfills the promise of rescue. Matthew 4.16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We long for the light. And as we read in Psalm 130, that longing mirrors our longing for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. We were in great darkness, the darkness of death. And his coming brought us great light. In Revelation, we read that there is no need for the sun because the glory of God provides constant illumination. And that light was present in Jesus. We saw in Revelation that God is the eternal creator, present before the universe was made and enduring after the world has been destroyed. John affirms this in Jesus. John 1, 2. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, Nothing was made that has been made. The language that is used for in the beginning refers to the eternal beginning, not the beginning of some chronological event, but the beginning of all time. John 1.30 And this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. In John 8.58 Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if you're an English teacher, the book of John might drive you crazy with the use of tenses. Before is a preposition that implies order. But in this case, the present tense verb occurs before the past tense verb. Grammatically, this is out of whack, but it is perfectly correct for an eternal God who exists outside of time. Heaven will have no need of a temple because God will be its temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. 
After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The temple is the place where people went to meet with God. We don't go to a physical temple, but to the temple and dwelling place of God, where we have the privilege of seeing him face to face. We can do that here on earth through prayer, and someday in heaven we will see the Lord himself face to face. The true God is also a lamb, not the triumphant warrior king the people were expecting, but a lamb destined for the slaughter. It is interesting that God chose the most defenseless creature to be the tool of redemption. The people were totally dependent on a creature that was dependent on them. Then when God came, he took on the characteristics of the lamb. In earthly terms, he was helpless. Even in his most desperate hour of need, his chief defender was so outclassed, all he could manage was a clumsy amputation of an ear. Jesus was most certainly the lamb, and John declared that clearly. John 1.36 Then he saw Jesus passing by. He said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. Of course, what is most important is not that John called Jesus the Lamb of God, but that Jesus fulfilled the role of the sacrificial lamb when he died on the cross. The true God has glory, and John affirms this of Jesus as well. John 1.14 the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then later in the garden, Jesus' words of prayer for his people are also recorded. John 17:24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. The glory of God embodied in a man, glory so powerful it overwhelms and destroys flesh. Moses needed to be protected by the rock and the hand of God to only glimpse the passing shadow of God's glory. Yet the fullness of God's glory dwelled in Jesus Christ fully present but mercifully restrained. How did he do this? I do not know. Another question to ask him face to face someday. So where does this leave us as Christians with the post-holiday blues? How do we as Christians avoid the trap of unfulfilled expectations and unmet desires that come up short? Or are we just trapped by the inescapable truth that the incarnation will let us down like everything else has? It is true that things and people will let us down, but the incarnation is not just a thing or a person. It is the person of God who never fails. So you may still feel the post-holiday blues. You might get down, but they can't keep us down. You see, we do not worship a thing, but we worship the living God, made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He does not disappoint. He takes our place as the Lamb. He brings us glorious light and eternal life, and gives us an unending, unlimited quantity of living water. He's a holy sanctuary so that we can fellowship with him, with God himself. He gives all these things to us without cost and without limit. It is by grace that he does these things. This is grace in its purest form, the unmerited favor and gifts of God, unearned yet infinite 
and straight from the Lord himself. John 1.16 Out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One translation I have renders this as grace upon grace. Another, one blessing after another. And that's truly what he has done. He has given us one eternal blessing after another. He is eternal and his blessings are as well. So where does this leave us? Well, he gives us light. Will you walk in it? He gives us life. Will you accept it? He gives us living water. Will you drink of it? He offers himself as the lamb in our place. Will you accept it? He offers himself as the temple. Will you come and worship him? He offers us access to his glory and the glory of the Father. Will you delight in it? Unending, unlimited grace, truth upon truth, blessing upon blessing. These are sufficient to sustain us no matter what life throws our way, even the post-holiday blues. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that uh, you are greater than all the things that trouble us in this world. We thank you that you are fully sufficient to sustain us. We thank you that everything we need can be found in you. Lord, we just pray that as our hearts sometimes get troubled, that we would turn to you and we would see your goodness and your glory and the wonder of your love. And Lord, that that would overshadow all the things of this world that trouble us and that our eyes would be focused on you and that you would sustain us through all these times. We pray this in your name. Amen.